Close, positive family relationships that feature open communication help young people stay healthy and avoid negative behaviors like substance use and violence. 25% of U.S. children live in single-parent homes. Teachers and educations often close the gap for kids without close adult relationships. Welcome to Kids Can. Healthy Kids, Better World, a podcast from Action for Healthy Kids. Welcome back to Kids Can, presented by Action for Healthy Kids, a show highlighting everyday issues children face today and featuring conversations on how you can help the kids in your life. I'm your host, Rob Bisegli. Today, I'm joined by the principal of Dr. Lynn Armstrong Elementary School in Fort Bend, Texas, Nancy Sanchez. On today's episode, we explore some of the difficulties students can face when they come from a bilingual background, why adult mentors can be so vital for kids, and what Nancy is doing in her own work to make sure all students have what they need to succeed. Hi, Principal Sanchez, and welcome to Kids Can. Hi. It's great to have you on the show. I have to say that I'm really excited to have you here today because the first few guests of our uh, show have been really interesting ones, but they haven't been working directly with kids in a school and really seeing what's happening on the ground with kids. So I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on KidsCan. I'm excited too. I've been telling some of our staff members as well about all the good things that they've been doing. So we're excited. Yeah, yeah. So with full disclosure in mind, I also wanted to say that your school and you, Nancy, are one of the partners for Action for Healthy Kids. You're one of our school partners. So we know quite a bit about some of the work that you're doing. But like I said, I'm really excited to talk to you a little bit more about it and go deeper than even I've heard to this point. So that's really great. So I'm just going to jump right into it. As you might know, Nancy, the premise of our podcast, KidsCan, and of all of the work at Action for Healthy Kids for that matter, is that our early life experiences and the adults who care for us can have a transformative impact on our lives. So I was hoping you could tell me about one of those experiences from your early life, your childhood, you know, that you consider to be transformative. Sure. It's actually my first grade teacher, Ms. Lindsay. I didn't originally have her. I was actually in another class, but I'm actually born in Mexico. I wasn't born here. My whole family was born in Mexico. And when I was young, before my first birthday, we ended up migrating over here. So a lot of people assume that I automatically spoke Spanish first, and that's not the case. My first language is actually English, and I learned Spanish later on, even though my parents only speak Spanish. But going to school, I really never saw there was anything different about me. And it wasn't until first grade that I would just notice my teacher's lips moving all the time, but nothing ever really, I couldn't hear them. And I knew I was struggling. They tried to test me for special education, of course, bilingual. I did not even test into that. English has a second language, nothing. And finally, the original teacher, to be honest, I don't even remember her name. They decided to put me in the remedial class. And so that's how I ended up being in Ms. Lindsay's class. And so with her, I remember reading the basal readers and it was probably about four or five of us that were in there. And it was to the point where I memorized things that I had to say, but nothing really clicked. And it wasn't until she ended up speaking to somebody to translate to my mom and said, has she taken me to the doctor just to check and see if everything was okay and stuff. And finally realized that, of course, no wonder I was only being able to see people's lips move. I couldn't hear well. And so that was a huge transition. I ended up having ear tubes put in and then had another operation um, during that time as well. And I kid you not, after that happened, it was like 
the whole light bulb. Like I remember struggling so much, but by second grade, everything, it started flowing and everything. But I just imagine if it wouldn't have been for Miss Lindsay to go and go find somebody to translate for my mom and have her go take me to the doctor. I don't know, honestly, what would have been, what it would have become of me or how much of a struggle I would have had more if I wouldn't have had that operation. So. Yeah, that is a transformative story for sure. Mm -hmm. And some really important adults in your life who stepped up and made a difference in your life. Uh, It's it's, uh, fantastic. How do you think that experience impacted your life and who you are today and what you believe today? Of course, I wanted to become a teacher. (laughs) She wasn't the only one. I had two high school teachers that I think by the time you get to high school, people automatically think that, you know, you're grown up and you, you know, it's not so much a building relationships. You just do, do, do as they ask. And a lot of them are strict, but I had two. One was my English teacher and the other one was a science teacher. My science teacher was Mr. White and he knew how to build relationships. He knew how to establish those things. And he always challenged us, even if it was, it was um, biology. And even though it was hard, he always pressed for us to try to excel. And so at that point, it was because of him that I knew that I wanted to do something in science. And I was like, okay, I'll aim for that. He was my junior um, science teacher, and but then it was finally my senior ELA teacher. She taught like an elementary school teacher. And it was ironic because she would prep us up by giving us like real life lessons. Like for instance, I remember one where we had to do a resume. Something as simple that we would take for granted, but those are things that we truly needed to know how to do. And so she taught us and it was um, weird because she had one wall on her, um, on one of the sides and it was to the back. And all the ones that had made progress, she would put them up, display them, just like elementary school teachers. And she would put little stickers on them and say, like, good job, things like that. And even though we're 17, 18 years old, we wanted our, you know, uh, resume up there with those stickers and stuff like that. And so that started to resonate with me a lot about wanting to become a teacher. And it wasn't until my brother, my brother and I have like so many years in an age difference that he's so much younger than I am. And he was actually diagnosed with a learning disability. I started volunteering at an elementary school and the things that I was learning in there when I finally realized that I started doing for my brother and when he didn't understand, he would come home. I would do the same strategies that the teachers were doing and teaching me and it started to work and I completely changed my major from psychology to become education and worked my way up as a volunteer, paraprofessional, became a teacher, specialist, and then eventually moved into the administrative role. So It's those people that throughout my life, elementary, high school, that really did change up a lot of the things. And it not only affected me, but it really, to be honest, it really did help my brother out. Yeah. So it leads perfectly to my next question, which is Mm -hmm. how do you think your life, and I guess I'll add your brother Mm -hmm. and your mom or your family's lives would have been different if you hadn't had that first experience with the teacher who identified something and cared enough to put you on a different path. Ironically, my high school teachers were the ones that in high school, both my parents were thinking about getting a divorce. And that's one thing that you really don't want your students or your kids to have to go through. And unfortunately, we've been seeing it a lot more here on campus. We have a lot of our um, families are single parent families. And so with them, there is, of course, those two teachers that that was my outlet. I honestly don't remember my sophomore year. It's I feel like it was just a blur, but that's when it, things were really getting hard um, for us. But they were my outlet. They were able to listen to us. We were. I was always willing to stay 
after school doing, you know, the clubs that they were, you know, sponsoring, things like that. But my biggest fear was that my parents come from different backgrounds. My mom is from a major city, Mexico City, where my dad's from a very small farm town in Mexico. And even though my dad's parents had money to send him to school, they decided to just spend it on farming and everything. He only got up to second grade. My mom, on the other hand, they didn't have enough money and her stepdad refused to pay for her education, but paid for everybody else. So she only got to fifth grade. So I know for me, that was one of those things where they always instilled in us. It was a big thing to get an education that was, you know, whichever way means possible, we were going to get an education. They, they made it happen. Great. So can you tell me a little bit about your school and your school community? Sure. We have about, I want to say it's about 460-ish um, students. We are predominantly Hispanic, which is about 75%. And then we have about 18% African-American and the rest is mixed between two or more races, Asian and Indian. One of the misconceptions is they believe that our campus is completely bilingual, seeing that there's 75% Hispanic, but it's not, that's not the case. We have a lot of our Hispanic students that are not even in ESL classes, but the way that we have our community, it literally is divided. If you head to the South, you'll see Fifth Street and all you will see are mobile homes. However, if you go to the North and you go past Lexington, you see these really nice homes. So you see two different sides of the families, but at the same time, I think people have this misconception when they drive past Armstrong that Armstrong is, a, and it is, it's a gorgeous building. If you see the houses right next to it, they're beautiful homes and people assume it must be a well-to-do school. However, you're thinking about, you know, like I said, we have a lot of our families that are single parent families. We have our mobile homes in the back. And when you think about it, one of the biggest things I've told teachers, like whenever you get a chance, and that was one of our professional developments, I think it was last school year, I told them, I let, I released them early for lunch, told them to just drive by Fifth Street. And I want them to see the mobile homes because for them, this is the best living that they've ever had compared to the country that they were coming from. And so we have our low SES, but at the same time, we all have parents that have like our high SES, but they're hardworking parents that they're not always at home. So that's the false, you know, misconception thinking that, oh, they're well-to-do, they have both parents, they have a great job, but at the same time, they're not home as much. And so we have to rely on educators building those relationships with our kids. Yeah, those relationships are key, as it turns out, in the education environment, just like every other part of life uh, for that matter. So for a lot of families and kids, the last year and a half has required that they focus on making ends meet. How does this issue, making ends meet for families, play out in your community? Many of us, of course, have read, some of us have experienced some of these challenges and heard the stories about how schools have been challenged in this way, but we don't some of us don't have the firsthand experience that you have in helping or supporting families through these times. So I'm hoping you can bring this to life mm-hmm. for us a little bit. What about it? You know, how do, how do families make ends meet in this, in this environment and how do you support them? Sure. One of the first things that ended up happening, the district actually made us a host site to give breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So for the dinner part, we ended up partnering with another program I'm so sorry, I can't remember which one it was, but what we ended up doing, all of our, you know, any community, you know, you did not have to be a student from Armstrong to come get the food. We knew that it was, you know, everybody, it was very scarce. People were trying to get, you know, make ends meet and stuff. So our cafeteria workers were making breakfast, lunch, and then the dinner was being provided as well. So all they had to do is drive through the back, tell us how many family members there were, and we would automatically give them the food. 
the food was amazing because it wasn't just a cold food. They made sure that we were giving them hot food that they, they could enjoy. We had a, a huge amount of people that were coming, even like our community partners. We have about five churches that support us as well. Shared with them that anybody who needed food, please come on by, drive by. There's no questions asked. Just come and get some food. And the good thing was that if we had weekends, um, long weekends, because there were some times where we didn't work on Fridays and we worked longer days, Monday through Thursday, or if we had holidays, we would double up or triple up the amount of food just to make sure that our community was being fed. Now, in addition to that, we also, like I said, we have our churches. It's been nice because, like I said, we've built so many great relationships with our community that our churches now, several of them have a Armstrong fund. And it's like pretty much like a bank account. And they tell us we have this amount of money, but I could literally ask my parent educator, hey, I have this family. They really need help. Da, da, da. And she will reach out to our community partners and in a heartbeat, they will be willing to help. We just have to tell them, do they need food? Do they need, you know, clothing? They've even helped provide, you know, expenses to pay electricity bills, water bills, because we just want to make sure that they are up and running and being able to come to school. Yeah. Could I follow up a little bit on that? Sure. Go maybe even one level deeper. Do you have any moments that stand out in your mind when it comes to issues around making ends meet and, you know, especially food access issues or hunger issues that are especially poignant for you that you, that you can share with us? Yes. Um, one, it was very touching. We ended up having the Houston Food Bank. You, typically, we have the district be the site for Houston Food Bank, and it's so much closer than having to go to a, a location in Houston, up and down in Houston. And so we were the first campus to be selected to have our own site here on campus from the Houston Food Bank. And it was amazing. We ended up sending flyers. We sent email communications, um, phone blasts and things like that. And we started at nine o'clock in the morning and we would go all the way until the, either the food ran out or until 12 o'clock. We were in the midst of everything. I think it was halfway through and all of a sudden my nurse calls for my parent educator saying if she, um, where was her location? And it was weird because she said she had a student and usually they don't call the parent educator when there's a student involved. Usually it's an administrator. We're thinking we have to resolve something. I was next to my parent educator and I'm waiting for her to, you know, give more information on the walking thinking, and they're not going to need the parent educator. They're going to need me. And she's like, okay, I'm going to head over there. And so she heads on down and she has a student with her and we were all kind of confused. And she said, it's like, we just want to know. This child came here. I'm not going to say his name just for privacy issues, but um, this child came down here and said that he wanted to know if he could get a bag of food because he heard that the Houston Food Bank was giving food away. And so we, you know, my parent educator, Miss Richardson, said, "Oh, does your mom know that they're having the um, food drive here?" It's like, "Oh, I don't know, but I, I know." I was like, "I read it on a flyer, and I just want to make sure that if you can save me a bag because my mom knows whenever you guys give food, you guys can save a bag and she'll pick it up in the mornings because she can only." She's only available in the mornings. And so we we're like, okay, we'll wait and see. And so once we started waiting and seeing to see if the mom came by, which is kind of, I knew the mom wouldn't come by because I know her work schedule. And sure enough, when we started asking him questions, he saw that people were coming, I guess, because we were close to the main hallway. He happened to transition and saw that the fact that we were just loading food into people's trunks and stuff. And it's just, it's hard to imagine a fourth grader. Not really having like his own focus is supposed to be education. And he sees in that in the middle of the hallway that we're giving food. And his first thought is, okay, let me try to get food for my family. It's him, two brothers and a mom, a single parent family as well. And sure enough, we put, we packed up a whole bag of everything, including the milk that was giving by. And honestly, not even just him, but 
the families that were coming, the last stop was, you know, you go to the refrigerated section of the truck because they were giving out milk and people were just, you know, the simple fact of a gallon of milk, how some like we take it for granted, but for them, a gallon of milk was a gallon of milk. That's three, four dollars. And everybody was shocked that we were giving two gallons of milk and things like that. And so what we did for that one student, we started packing his backpack. And so we told him that he, we were going to give him all the stuff that was, you know, perishable items just to make sure that everything would be okay. And to not make him feel bad, we told him, you know, okay, we're going to call you at the end of the day at two o'clock. You're going to bring your backpack and we're just going to keep putting everything And bless his heart. He's like, no, I, I'm, I'm tough. I can bring it all. I can take it all in my backpack, but it was just extremely too much. And we're like, no, it's okay. I'll call your mom. You, you know, she'll know. And he was so excited. And um, my secretary was trying to make him feel good as well. And we're like, well, we just get to see you another day. And we're trying to, you know, pump him up and stuff. And sure enough, he came for three days straight, ready with his backpack. You know, we filled his backpack up and he would take it home. But it's those things that, you know, we take it for granted. Just this past Wednesday, we had another situation where we also have a program called Biter Bites. And it's also in conjunction with the Houston Food Bank. We uh, we started about 75 bags that we were preparing with the community members and we would give them down to our families. And it's produce that our families get every other week. And we teach them, the um, the teachers teach them lessons about the importance of eating produce, fruits and vegetables. And we started with 75 bags and then all of a sudden we're packing 160 bags. So we've noticed that we're getting closer to our goal, which is 50% of our families participating in this program. And all of a sudden we have all these bags left over and we could not like there was no reason like why we have we should have that many because we know we have families and we're discussing should we double up should we give families extras and we're trying to figure out why do we have so many because this shouldn't be happening and finally my parent educator is like oh we forgot there's tutorials sure enough the tutorials in our after school sports program we start getting all of the names of the students those were all the missing bags that were left over so when we think about it where we started off the kids already know they open up the bag and they're like, oh, there's grapes. Like, let's eat their grapes. And, you know, they're so excited to see the different types of, you know, fruit and, you know, vegetables that they have. Not one single kid is embarrassed to take those two bags with them. Because when you see like everybody that was in the tutorials and the after school, you know, school sports program, the majority of those kids had their two bags and they're each helping, you know, even the ones that didn't get their bag, they're helping each other carry it down because they take it down to the main hallway, stack their stuff there. And then they go to the sports program. But it's just, it's amazing to see how many kiddos that are still struggling academically are the same ones that are receiving these bags for home, you know, for food. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Because of the work that we do at Action for mm-hmm. the Kids, I've had the opportunity to look at the research and it's as clear as day. Kids who go to school hungry or, you know, don't get the proper nutrients are not the same kind of performers they could be if they didn't experience that. But can you tell us, you know, a little bit more about what you've experienced and what you've seen? You know, what are the results when a student comes to school regularly and they're hungry? We actually, well, I actually had the opportunity to see one student. Um, this was during COVID. We were, we're still, you know, separated in the cafeteria and everything, but we have this one, he was in third grade last year and we had, I think it was like chicken wings or something like that. And all of a sudden, and he's one of the ones that's struggling as well academically. He is a special education student and he gets up out of the chair, you know, his table and he starts running down. I'm like, hold on, sweetie. He's like, we can't run in the cafeteria. I'm like, tell me, how can I help you? And he's like, these chicken wings are so good. It's like, I'm so hungry. I want some more. And it's sad because, you know, each child only has a certain amount of credits that they can use each day. And it's like, 
for me to have to tell a child, no, I'm so sorry, sweetie, you already used your credits. You can't get any more that day. It's just disheartening because it's, you could tell it's something that he probably hasn't had as much at home, but he's so hungry. And so what we ended up doing, there's other kids that do get their lunch and they bring lunch from home. And I was like, okay, well, let's look and see if there's somebody that doesn't want their chicken wings and we can give them to you. But it's one of those realities where they are hungry. When we have breakfast, the majority of our students do get breakfast here on campus and we already know the regulars. So if we see students that are trying to walk back to school, you know, classroom, we're like, wait, did you eat your breakfast? And they say, no, I'm like, no, let's go get our breakfast. But our breakfast, technically our school starts, our classes start at 8:10, but we do not deny any of our kids to go get a breakfast, even those that are late, because it's not their fault that they're late, you know, whether it's a parent that's running late or whatever it may be. But we always have them go to the cafeteria line to come get them, you know, get their food. Like I said, yeah. we are probably about like 97% free reduced lunch. So when you think about our enrollment, that's only about 60, 63 kids that do not partake in either reduced or free lunch. But it does it does make a huge difference. Yeah, it's really important work. So let's turn our attention uh, to the relationship between children and adults. So the research on child development is crystal clear. Every child needs a trusting, nurturing relationship with at least one adult. I'm sure that most of us would hope that that child or every child has a relationship like that with a parent, one that they trust and, a, and has a, and, and is nurturing, but there, that's, that, that's not the reality for mm-hmm. all kids. Of course, the research says that the second most likely person to fulfill that role is a teacher or someone in the school environment. So I'll ask the question, what happens when a child doesn't have someone that they can trust? What kind of impacts do you see that having on a child in school? Usually what we notice is that the students that are having disciplinary problems, those are the ones that do not have somebody at home that they can build that relationship with. For instance, we have one student, he is a first grader, and we knew something happened over the Thanksgiving break. And when I sat down with him, because they called for assistance and I went over there and he was, he was having a meltdown and I was like, are you okay, sweetie? And he's like, no, I'm like, okay, do you mind if I just sit right here? He's like, yes. I'm like, do you want to, do you want to sit next to me? He's like, no. I'm like, okay. It's like, you can just stay in right there. He's like, I'll just wait right here. And whenever you're ready, you can come talk to me. He comes over and then it's just one of those things like, well, did you know that I didn't even know that I had an older brother? And it's one of those things that, you know, as a child, a first grade student having to deal with those issues, it, it it's disheartening. And so when, whenever we have students that do have behavioral issues or concerns, we automatically try to pinpoint a mentor for him. So thankfully we do have, like, again, our local churches and that they are part of our mentorship program. They either decide which grade level they would like to partner up with. And the majority of them, if they, for instance, if they do choose like that child that's in first grade, that mentor usually requests to have that same child in second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and they'll follow them through. It's made a huge difference because we know that if they're having an issue, we allow them to, you know, ask the teacher, can I go speak to my mentor or walk out and seek that mentor? And so for instance, like Miss Orr, she's one of our, uh, she's an amazing teacher, always builds relationships with all the students, even if it's a little, a little tough. She had a student last year, she's a fourth grade teacher And the student really didn't have a good relationship with the parents. Even the mom expressed to me that, you know, it's very hard for her to get him to do things, to follow directions. And some of the concerns that we were seeing here at school, we were seeing also, you know, they were seeing at home. And so we were trying to build that relationship between the home and school connection, trying to see how we could do this because 
this student is extremely smart, extremely school, you know, book smart and street smart. And for him, he was afraid to show that he is very smart because he didn't want to look or have this appearance of being a very smart student. He wanted to be a tough guy and just, you know, big and everything. He reminded me of my brother, just like an, an adult, you know, an old soul. And so Miss um, Orr had him the whole entire school year last year. I have not seen, out of all the years I've had him, that was the first year that I seen that he could actually calm down. If he was going to get upset, Miss Orr would be the one that would be able to um, calm him down. He's now in fifth grade. And he did had an um, altercation in recess. And so he was brought into the front office and my assistant principal was meeting with him. And it just so happened that Miss Orr happened to pass by and see that he's sitting in the office. And she goes in and says, what's going on? What happened? And so she's trying to, you know, assist. And it's like, oh, sweetie's like, you know, you know, you're, we're, we're grownups. We don't do that. We have to take responsibility. And so if Miss Orr would have been a different teacher... She could have just bypassed and said, okay, that's not my child. I'm not dealing with it. I'm done. And, but she had him reflect. It's like, okay, you have to make it up. It's like, you know, you can't do that anymore. You're getting older. You're in fifth grade. You know the rules. And so she gave him a clipboard, a piece of notebook paper, and asked him to reflect on what he could do to make it better and how he was going to make himself not get into altercations and things like that and wanted to know what would be the one thing that would stop him or would motivate him to do better. So what is the one thing we're all now wondering? Sports. And so when he mentioned sports, she continued with it. And this is during her planning time. And we know that teachers are feeling very overwhelmed right now. And their planning time is precious to them, the 45 minutes. And so she's here still with the child. And so she's like, okay, I want you to create a survey. And I want you to at least have two questions on there. And this survey is going to go out to the students. And I want you to see... What are they interested in? Because if you want to create something about sports, we can make it happen. And she decided to give up her time volunteer and said, if you create this, then I will be one of the sponsors for your idea. Sure enough, the student came up with the questions, gave it to the fifth grade students to see what sports they were interested in. Lo and behold, we, we knew, like Ms. Orr said, okay, now that we got him started on this, we have to follow through. It's a child that has, you know, been promised things over and over again by family members, and he's always been let down. We can't be the ones to let him down. And so we started planning. We start, um, Both her and my assistant principal started creating the letters for, to go out to families. And this was just for third, fourth, and fifth grade students in the meantime. And sure enough, we started sports club that they have the choice if they want to do soccer, basketball, just regular outside play during recess. So there's different areas. And then she ended up getting one of her team members to come on board and they're now the sponsors. And so Mr. Land really liked the idea of our assistant principal because we know that a lot of these kids are the same kids that are struggling academically. And now because of a new house bill that's passed by the state, any child that did not pass their state exam last year has to do tutorials. But we know our kids are not going to come to tutorials unless we motivate them. And so what we ended up doing is that we now have an agreement that you do the, minimum, the bare minimum tutorials that's requested for every single day so we can start making up those numbers. And then apart from that, at the very end, you get to participate in the sports clubs. So at the very beginning, we started having some students leaving at 4.50, which is when tutorials end. But when they started seeing that other kids were staying and their parents would pick them up and they would see outside that they're having all these, you know, this fun and everything. Now we only have two students that get picked up at 4.50 everybody else is outside. And so 
I happened to stay this past Wednesday to assist with some other stuff. And I saw them outside and you see the girls on the sidelines. Some of the girls are acting, you know, they want to be cheerleaders. And so they're, you know, acting like cheerleaders and getting ready and making their cheers together. We have students playing soccer. We have others saying that agreeing with other people. It's like, do you want to play um, basketball today? Where do you want to go? And they're, they're already coming up with their teams and stuff. And it's even hard to wrangle them back in. And granted that now the hours, you know, it's getting darker sooner and stuff like that. But it is very rare that we have any child being absent on those days, which happens to be Mondays and Wednesdays. They will not be absent. They'll be absent another day, but not those two days. Those two days, they love sports clubs. So There's so much that's great about that mm-hmm. story. Student involvement, teacher yes. engagement innovative solutions, all kinds of things that are really great. In addition to the fact that not only are they getting their tutorials, they're getting their physical activity for the day as well. So it's, I don't know, a quadruple win or something like that for everyone involved. How do you prepare teachers? Do you do anything special to prepare teachers for this kind of work of serving in that role as a nurturing mentor or relationship for a child? So when I, like I said, when I came on board four years ago, I noticed that it was very different here from other campuses that I worked at. It was more of like my kids versus your kids. These are, these are not my kids. These are your kids. And it happened a lot with our special education students. Unfortunately, what we ended up doing, it literally took us about a year for them to realize that it is not our kids versus your kids. You know, it's everybody's kids. We started looking at the data and told them that for us in order to succeed, one teacher does not succeed because if that one teacher can't, you know, bring up our scores everywhere, nobody succeeds. And so we kept pushing on to that, that everybody has to push in and um, getting that going. So one of the things that we started doing with our counselor is guidance lessons. And so our counselor will go, she has guidance lessons for, for instance, this, she just met with them today and the topic is service. What do you, you know, what is service? What do you do with service? How can that look like? And things like that. And so on our, we have weekly newsletters. Our counselor is responsible for putting something in the newsletter every single week. And a lot of it comes through our character traits of the month. We also have profile of a graduate, which is part of our district initiative that we focus on. You know, one of them is like community service and things like that. But the biggest thing, Miss Orr was actually one of the ones, including one of her teammates. I sent them to a professional development called Love and Logic. And that was a big eye opener for both of them of how um, we can start building relationships with our kids and how to talk to them. Now, the good thing that, I mean, Miss Orr has been amazing, that when we do walks, we actually have them go into her classroom to see how the dynamics are that if you build relationships from the get-go, those kids will do anything and everything for you. Just recently, when we had our professional development, I think it was in October, I asked her, could you present for our staff? It was her and one of our technology integration champions And I required every single staff member to go. I did have one staff member reach out to my secretary and saying, do I really have to go to this? I'm so tired of professional developments that they're all boring and never pertains to my, her area. And I don't want to be very specific, but, and my secretary said, you know, Ms. Sanchez, Ms. Sanchez said, everybody has to go. It was the best three hours. It was only supposed to be two hours. And we were having so much fun that that person went back to my secretary and said, I'm so glad that Ms. Sanchez forced me to go there because Ms. Orr is such a great teacher. It's like, I kid you not, we were engaged. We were competing that when the two hours came up, I asked him, okay, we're at two hours. 
it's up to you guys if we continue on or if we stop and we'll continue another professional development day. We were all on board. We wanted to continue, but it was because we were having so much fun. And the reason why I had Miss Ora and Mr. Perez do that was because I wanted them to see what it's like for, you know, sit and get at a professional development, which sometimes, unfortunately, some of our kids get that with certain teachers versus somebody that's being very interactive and engaging that you want to build those relationships. So everything that we taught that professional development day with the teachers, the teachers could actually go back and implement it within their classrooms. So little things like that, we're trying to put nuggets in their bag. Yeah. Uh, and when you have someone like a Miss Orr at your disposal, uh, a rock star like that, you listen, yes. right? I mean, that that's the key. Uh, so that's really great. Can you tell me over the long haul, do you think that the changes that you make in your school, especially when it comes to the social and emotional health of kids, do you think they change the trajectory of their lives, of the lives of those kids? I believe so. I know it happened for me, but we always think about, for me, I know I'm not going to be at Armstrong forever, but I always say, okay, if I can leave Armstrong uh, for the next person that comes in line and they can continue what they're doing, then my job is done. But I know that these teachers, a lot of them, they really love their teachers. And what difference does it make? So it makes me, again, wonder for the kids. What difference does it make when they have a whole community behind them, do you think, for their their lives the lo- over the long haul for them? A lot of them get the confidence that they need that they may not necessarily get at home because, like I said, I mean, they're with us most of the time. We teach them valuable lessons, which that's one of the things that the district has done for us, that we've, we're not just teaching to a test or anything like that, but we're trying to get them ready and prepared for them. One of the trajectories that we started doing for our school is starting to get them to, you know, do higher thinking and self-assessing, you know, assessing each other and things like that. But I'm thinking that like, the way that I want to get them is to the point where if they go to the next level, that they know how to go ahead and handle situations because we've taught them correctly, building relationships the appropriate way. And unfortunately, our kids go to a feeder pattern where they are going to have a lot of challenges. A lot of our team teachers here We always said that we're not just focused about our kids the school year, but we're worried about what will happen to them once they get to middle school and high school. And that's what we're hoping for. That they're ready, that they're, that they're ready. Yes. Yes. To enter middle school. They're prepared, not just academically. Yes. But also emotionally and socially that they're ready to enter the next level and do what they need to do to succeed. Yes. I'm I'm sure that's what you're saying. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I think we're going to head toward uh, our last question here, a set of questions here. If you look back on your life experiences, the good and the bad, how do you hope that the experience of today's children will be different from yours and the same as yours? Different. These students are very resilient. I don't think we gave them enough credit the first time that we had to go online I know some people thought of it as a blessing and a curse because of all the issues that we had with technology. But at the same time, we knew that education was forever changed. They are very self-sufficient. They use technology in ways that I could have never imagined. Just even thinking about yesterday, the fact that we had no, no technology or internet and phone lines, it was almost like having to go back to the old way of teaching. But our students are very resilient. They adapt to it. And so that's one of the things that I think for them they will be very resilient in life that anything that's thrown at them, they're going to be able to adapt and go on. That's one of the good things about them. 
Another thing I guess that's going to be very different, it's going to be interesting to see how it does change, is that social-emotional part. Because unfortunately, I feel that a lot of our kids have had to grow up so fast these past two years because they've seen some of the hardships that their families have gone through. And like I said, that one individual, he, I know he's not the only one that's worried about how are we going to get food on the table and things like that. But I'm glad that he like he knows who to go to. He had that relationship with that nurse and knew that if I talk to the nurse, then she knows how I can get some resources. Things that are similar to me, they're still ambitious. They know that they want to do more. A lot of our teachers, we talk about, you know, and I was one that I used to say, okay, go to college, go to college, da, da, da. But at the same time, it's not just college. Some people are meant for college, some are not. And so something that we started talking about is about trade school. Like if you go down our main hallway, we have posters down there that we just recently put about different jobs that you can get, whether you go to college or you don't, but there's always one way that you can make a living in life. And that's one of the things that we're focusing on a lot in our students. So even though a lot of people will say they're just elementary school students, it's not too, I mean, it's never too early to go ahead and start getting them motivated. And that's one thing that I think that they're going to be, that we're very similar in our backgrounds, that a lot of our students are coming from hardworking families and that both their parents also want a lot from them. And I just want to make sure that they know that it's achievable once they leave here. Great. I think this will be the, the perfect way to end it. What is your greatest wish for today's children and youth? Honestly, like I know education is at the top, but I honestly feel that if they knew how to have relationships with people, but very caring and understanding, like for instance, today at um, one of the trainings that our counselor was giving to our students about service, they're starting to connect like, you know, that services, like when, for instance, when you go to a homeless shelter and volunteer, I would have never expected a child to say that as one of the things. And so I'm trying to make sure that we can actually create good citizens because these are the kids that are going to be ended up, you know, will end up taking care of us as we get older. They're the ones that are going to be running society and things like that. So I just want to make sure that they actually are prepared enough to be able to be successful. But at the same time, with everything that's been going on, I just want to make sure that they are resilient. They continue to be resilient and to speed, to be motivated. And that's some of the things that we've noticed that some of our kids are a little, are struggling a little bit with. So just to keep on motivating them, that would be my biggest thing, just making them be good citizens and successful. Great. Well, I, I will say that I, I can't thank you enough for joining me and, and telling us a little bit about, just a little bit about yeah. what it's like to work day to day with kids and in a school. It's, it's just been a pleasure. And I'd also like to say thank you so much for all that you do for our kids. It's genuinely important work and having someone in a principal spot like you, who's passionate about making a difference for their whole lives. It's, it's just such important work. So thanks for everything that you do. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again to Principal Nancy Sanchez for being on the show today. It was a pleasure to speak with her about the innovative strategies she and her colleagues have employed to help kids and families thrive during the past two years. Remember, you can find more information by visiting our website at actionforhealthykids.org or checking us out on Instagram and Twitter. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and leave a review so more people can find us. I'm Rob Bisegli, and thanks for listening to Kids Can from Action for Healthy Kids.